I'm pretty sure they thought it was like a Enid Blyton kind of thing because it's set in a, in a girls' boarding school. <laughs> and I think that's about as far as they got with reading about it. Um, so, but I, you know, I was a voracious reader as a kid and so I jumped straight into it and I loved it. And, um, and that, was, that was, I think I, I just sort of started, there were so many books to read. So it was brilliant. But yes, I think it wasn't quite the, um, the jolly girls, japes and the boarding school thing that my relatives thought it was. Um, and, oh gosh, things to like about Agatha. I think one of the things I really like about Agatha Christie is that there's not necessarily just one perpetrator at the end of it. Everyone mm-hmm. has the potential to be the criminal. Yeah. And also there might be multiple criminals in any given scenario, which kind of keeps you on your toes the whole way through. Thank you. I, I, I understand that completely. I'll tell you my story at the, uh, after you guys tell your stories. Um, okay, so who would like to go next about when they first discovered out? Agatha. Okay, I'll jump in because I know Greg's a gentleman and he won't jump in ahead, <laughs> <laughs> even, though he's certain, even though he's certainly welcome to. Um, no, please go ahead. <laughs> I can't remember exactly when. No, I was like Catherine, like probably all of you, a voracious reader from as soon as I could learn how to grab a book and read it. And um, I, I really can't t- say when, except it must have been on uh, television, uh, movies. And I think I remember the first Death on the Nile, maybe the first one that I remember being uh, saying that exposed me to Agatha Christie. And I was just drawn in by, of course, the era, the clothes, the um, the whole uh, uh, 20s golden age style, as well as the fact that it was so clever. Mm -hmm. And you honestly didn't know who got it until the end. Is that the Peter Ustinoff movie? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Um, Really wonderfully done. Um, Okay, Greg? I was probably in elementary school when I first started reading Agatha Christie, so maybe around 10 to 12. Um, and I'm, I don't remember for sure, but I'm guessing I discovered her through my mother um, because my mother is a big Agatha Christie fan. And so that definitely has that kind of sentimental connection for me of you know reading the same books that my mother was reading. And for a long time, my birthday and Christmas gifts to my mother were trying to track down copies of Agatha's books that <laughs> she did not own and purchasing them, for her, purchasing them for her. Yeah, that's hard. Because <laughs> there's so many Agatha Christie books. <laughs> right. So many that you get into plays in addition to the novels. Yeah. yeah. Okay, my story is that, um, well, the first book I actually got was Partners in Crime because the TV series came out in the 80s. But the first time I was exposed to, um, that's Tommy and Tuppence, the first time I was exposed to Agatha was when the movie Murder on the Orient Express came out with Albert Finney. And I was like, well, first of all, every movie star you ever wanted to see was in that movie. Um, (laughs) And and they were playing characters really different from themselves. I mean, Albert Finney was unrecognizable. And um, even, like, Maggie Smith and 
and um, oh, Vanessa Redgrave and everybody in it. But Ingrid Bergman won an Oscar. Uh, but uh, I didn't get the book then. Uh, I was only a little girl, so I don't think my mom and dad thought it was appropriate yet. I, I was allowed to see the movie, but I didn't get the book. Um, but I got um, I got Partners in Crime was my first book, and I fell in love with Tommy and Tuffins. And then the second book, no, I got a stack of Agatha Christie's because... Um, uh, my pa parents realized I just love mysteries. Um, and I earlier had been reading Ellery Queen because Jim Hutton and I had a crush on him and he played Ellery Queen on TV. So it started with Ellery Queen and then Miss, and then it became Agatha Christie. And I think the first book after Partners in Crime I read, if I remember right, was Evil Under the Sun. I just fell in love with that book. And then when the movie came out, and Peter Ustinov was in it, and Diana Rigg from uh, The Avengers, and I was just crazy about it. Um, and, and they had Cole Porter music, which I was I had just got turned on to, and I was it, oh. Anyway, I fell in love. <laughs> I think it was about. 13 or 14 by that time. <laughs> it, it, I mean, I, it's interesting because most people's stories about Agatha Christie and learning about her and read, starting to read about her, they're all almost always when you're young. What do you think is the attraction of Agatha Christie for young, younger uh, mystery fans? Anybody can answer. Well, my guess would be that because of her being such a prolific writer, and such, and they have her books have such a wide appeal, that means that there's a, usually a preponderance of, of performances in any way, whether it's television or film or local theater, almost anywhere at any time. So it's it it gives it uh, the the advantage of accessibility. And so then once you have the opportunity to read it or see it or hear it, uh, whether it's a radio show or uh, a movie, TV, whatever, you got, once you've got that, you're hooked. So I think the fact, yeah, that would be my guess. That sounds good. Anybody else? I think probably also, you know, we've all said that we got into them quite young, and I think perhaps from a parents point of view because they are cozies you know they're not no one's coming in the door with a chainsaw and blood splatter <laughs> up the wall or anything so I think you know you pass it's, it's a nice mystery it's Agatha Christie you know they you know well I'm, I'm sitting there getting in details of you know how to poison the neighbours and things but my parents don't know that <laughs> yeah, they, they just, you know but it's the murder of Roger Ackroyd you know no of course you could read that <laughs> Yeah, it's true. I mean, and that's one of the things. Oh, Greg, your turn. I'm sorry. I, I would just like what Catherine said. I mean, they're cozy, so there's no violence on the page. There's no sex, so they're accessible for young readers. But at the same time, they're they're written for grown-ups, so as a young reader, it feels like you're kind of getting into this secret world of where what the grown-ups are reading, and you're beginning to be a part of that. That's true. That's true. 
there is violence. I mean, people have uh, had their heads smashed in. They had um, uh, strangled. They, there are all kinds of stuff that's right there on the page. Um, that's true. I think you usually don't see the action on the page, right? It's usually the aftermath. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Except for one thing, where in the uh, dedication, she said, "You see, to her son-in-law, I can do a violent scene," and that was uh, Hercule Poirot's Christmas when the old man gets killed. <laughs> she, I guess, she was sick of people saying, "I, oh, you don't show it on the page," so she showed it on the page. <laughs> It's interesting, though, because I think that's, that's also it's a very British sensibility. You know, it's that idea of things going on behind closed curtains and everything looking lovely on the surface. So, it, you know, her idea of murder is almost that, that real British attitude to things. that We'll put on a show, we'll put on a face, and we'll pretend everything's all right and stiff up a lip. But, you know, people are behind the curtains, people are, you know, bashing each other with pokers and, you know, popping arsenic in the scones. It's, it's Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just me, I don't know. No, I'm, I, I'm right there with you. It's really interesting because um, maybe that's why uh, she is such a good playwright, is because of that. You know, she's actually considered uh, one of the most successful playwrights of, of, oh. of the, that period. She's got the longest-running play in the history of the West End. <laughs> Uh, really? That's true. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mousetrap. Yep. Yep. Oh yeah. And that came from a radio show that she did for Queen Mary. <laughs> and Dorothy Sayers talked her into it. She didn't want to do it. <laughs> and that's what oh, that's what lit the fuse for writing plays was uh, mm. for that that radio play. She also wrote a lot of radio plays. Yeah, I was listening to an expert on on the theatrical side of Agatha Christie, and and one of the things uh, she she really didn't want to get into the radio plays, but then once she got into it, it's like being an actor you get bit, <laughs> get bit by the acting bug, you get bit right by the playwriting bug. Not everybody does, but you know, I'm. It, if people are offered something, you know, they could try it. It's it's a good chance, and she did, and she was good at it. <laughs> but I do think it's, um, I was in one of her plays. Did I ever tell you that? I was in uh, Murder yeah. on the Nile. Oh, it was so much fun. The only thing I was disappointed by is that when Agatha adapted it, she took out Hercule Poirot. He wasn't in it. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why she did that. I mean, I apparently, and I found this out later, she basically took him out of every, except for one play that was the first one she ever did, which was called Black Coffee. Um, After, I guess it didn't get good reviews, so after that she just took him out of every play. Yeah. Appointment with Death. Um... Oh, what was the other? Um, Five Little Pigs, the adoption of that. All of them. He's not in them. 
I can kind of see that though, because if, if the first one got a dud review, and then you thought that that lots of different companies would do it, and then it would be your your one of your key characters would be subjected to any any old ham-fisted actor who wanted to take it on, kind of thing. Um, you know, you might not want Hercule to be associated with bad reviews. Basically, it's you know, it's, it's a very woman ate very ahead of her time thinking about the brand at that point, really. Yeah. Yeah, but it, and I think she did because she hated until Albert Finney. She hated every single Hercule Poirot she had ever mm. seen. Yeah. So she must have had a very strong picture of her character in her head, and you know that was that was so everyone else didn't match up to that, and that that sort of tainted it for her. Yeah. Yeah. I well, I mean, it's a real person. She saw a real person, and mm. that's what inspired her. So yeah. Yeah. The, the egg-shaped head and the tilt and all that, and mustache uh-huh. and the moustache, um, uh-huh. all that, it, it, she saw a real person. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I think she would have approved of David Suchet. Uh-huh. I don't think she would approve of Kenneth Branagh. Uh. <laughs> not because he's not a good actor, he's a brilliant actor, but that mustache. I don't care what explanation he came up with for it in the second film. It still is most. I mean, I don't know. It was ridiculous that mustache. <laughs> she would have been so upset. <laughs> um. Now, it's really strange, but. Uh, Agatha's biography is how I found out about Dorothy Sayers. She said Dorothy Sayers was the best mystery writer that she knew, and she loved to read his, her her books. And uh, she was also in the detection club with her. Uh-huh. And so that's how I found out about Lord Peter and Dorothy Sayers. I found it from... I, I always get kind of referred. I love reading biographies and interviews with uh, authors of that period because I get referred to these people I've never heard of. Um, have you ever had that happen? Did you ever, like, like read an Agatha Christie interview or seen one on television or on YouTube or, or read her biography or one of her other nonfiction books? And I went, oh, I never heard of her. I'm going to, or him. I'm going to read them. <laughs> um, I've sort of got a reverse one, which is it's kind of, anno- I don't know, it still sort of rankles a little bit. Um, I, we're talking about golden age crime writers, and Josephine Tay is one of those who I quite enjoy reading. And I was actually looking for one of the out-of-print books and I was doing a mad internet search a couple of years back. And, and there's a, a current author called Nicola Upson who has reimagined Josephine Tay as a character in her books. And so they're murder mysteries starring Josephine Tay. And they're, they're quite nicely written. I've, I've quite enjoyed reading them. But at the same time, it's kind of I, I'm not quite sure how I feel about that because I think, you know, if someone started writing books where Agatha Christie was the protagonist, how would I feel about that? And so yeah. there's, there's just this little seed of disquiet in my brain, shall we say. But, um, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, that would be, I mean, it's like, um, 
it's like Arthur Conan Doyle when they wrote that thing with um with um oh, the great magician. Um Houdini. Houdini was I think it was yeah. Arthur and Harry or something was the name of the movie. I didn't like the portrayal of Doyle. I I it didn't oh. I mean I've read a lot of his biographies and and stuff and and yes, he was into seances and stuff, but they had him. They they had him almost unhinged, and I just didn't yeah. think that was. The, I never. I don't think he was ever like that, and I thought it was it was crazy. Did you ever get yeah. like that, like disappointed by when somebody uh, portrayed one of your favorite authors on a a movie or in a book or in a TV show or anything? I'm I'm one of the um, I if I really like a book I will very often stay away from any and every movie adaption of it unless it gets absolutely sensational reviews because I think you know books they're so different to to movies and if you really love the book you know the movie can be great but it's it's different mm-hmm. so it it tends to be a bit of a letdown um, one that uh, one that I'm I'm definitely not going to see at the moment is Bullet Train because I love the original um, book translated from the Japanese and I can't, it, it, for me it had a very Japanese sensibility um, and I can't envisage it with um, Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock and a cast of white people basically um, on a Japanese bullet train because to me it just read that the characters had to have that sort of, um, had to have had that, had to be Japanese. Um, mm. Who was the author? Um, Kotaro Isaka. So... Yeah, so definitely avoid movies. Me, um. I I'm I'm like that too. I um I, especially if it's a if it's a book you love, it's hard. This is the way I go. I will watch a movie first, and uh, uh-huh. uh and then I won't read the book unless uh because I don't want to get. No, that's not right. I watch the movie first and then read the book because I know the book will be better. But I don't like to read the book first and then see the movie because I know I'll be disappointed. That's the way it goes. <laughs> Does that make sense, or did I just mess it up for you guys? <laughs> no, that makes sense. But having having said that, if you um said have you read Raymond Chandler's The Big Sleep and would you see the Humphrey Bogart movie of it? Um, yes, and yes.
beautiful poetic little vignettes within it. And it, so it's, he's a he's a great read. So he's kind of I'm still digging out his his backlist because again they're hard books to find. But um, Ross McDonald, yeah. Yeah, I actually um, I was lucky I had a whole bunch from my dad. My dad was a huge yeah. reader. So um, him and um, Perry Mason, I got a, uh, I got a whole bunch of those books from my dad. Not not from him, but when my father my father was very generous with his books, and I would get them. But now that my father's passed on, I have all of them. <laughs> but I mean, that I wasn't so lucky with a lot of stuff. I mean, but that those two I was. But yeah, I love his writing. Um, okay, anybody else? Um, uh, like read an interview with uh, or a biography or uh, see uh, anything and get, and get inspired to find an, a Golden Age author. Greg? I think I'm just woefully behind on my Golden Age mystery <laughs> I've read I've read about a bunch of Agatha Christie and I've read a fair amount of Raymond Chandler, but a lot of the authors you listed at the beginning are, are new to me. And I've I've I enjoyed both of those authors that I've read and I've read um, a little bit of Hammett too. And I've enjoyed all of those, but I haven't delved as deeply as you guys have. Did you read the Sin Man movie um, movies? The Sin Man books? Uh, when you read Hammett? I think I did uh, I've, I've read the Maltese Falcon. Um, Great. Book. I don't know if I read the Simpsons because it's really different from the TV. I mean, the movies um, with Myrna Loy and uh-huh. William Powell. Um, the, 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 that's like they're both really great. It's not like the other thing I was talking about the um, the um, the Sin Man movies are great because. Well, you got incredible actors there with Myrna Loy and, and uh, William Powell and a cute little dog named Asta. Um, but but it just it you you get put into the uh, era uh, that the movies were made. The Thin Man books were of the period. They were gritty and they were fascinating and but the the relationship between the husband and wife was still solid and it was a good marriage um that that's the part that translated into the movies that's why i was curious what you thought of it yeah i I mean i think that's kind of the key for movie adaptations is if you can kind of capture the spirit of the book and i think that's often often the hard thing to do even if you get a-list actors or you know director or the best screenwriter it's hard to capture the spirit of the book and it's hard to as a reader to see you know a list actor playing this you know hero from your favorite book yeah it's yeah. kind of distinguish between whoever that actor is and you know your, your picture of the, the protagonist from the story yeah uh the last uh, Gatsby, and I have a lot of respect for Leonardo. Uh, what's his name? DiCaprio. What's his first name? Leonardo. Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, uh, I have a lot of respect for him as an actor, but it isn't just him. It was every. It, it just was. They were the glitter. They were the 
sparkle of the uh, Roaring Twenties, but really that book is not a happy book. And it barely, it kind of glossed over it. Even the murder, at, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler. <laughs> well, even that got glossed over. Uh, don't worry, I will put a spoiler alert at the beginning in my introduction. Uh, we are talking about Golden Age books and movies and stuff, and there is a spoiler in it. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, uh, it's just, the I, I thought the uh, one in the 70s was much better because it had that tinge of sadness, the the gloss over the, the the bad stuff that was happening. It was it wasn't just sparkle. It was it was everything. Uh, I, they they didn't capture. It, it was like okay, we're going to go back to twenties and we're going to have fun and it's going to be parties. And I'm like, that's not what the oh. book's about. <laughs> so I was get. I mean, I know yeah, that it's not a mystery, but I get really disappointed in adaptions like that. Just looking at the books on my bookshelf right now, I think speculative fiction seems to do it the best. And I don't know, maybe that has something to do with when you're seeing fantasy or science fiction on screen, you get to see all these technologies or different yeah. worlds that you yeah. can only imagine. Like, I think the Lord of the Rings movies did a good job. Mm -hmm. I think um, the adaptation of The Martian was good. Harry Potter. Because you get to see, you know, you get to see, mm -hmm. you know, look at Mars. To see um, Middle Earth and you know travel to these places, that you can only kind of get a, a surface glance at in the books. Mm. And Harry, right point. Yeah. Harry Potter and and stuff like that. Yeah, it's up Harry Potter. Yeah. Harry Potter and oh. <laughs> and, <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, and it's because. It's a it's a world you you can read about but you can't visit you don't know it it's it's a it's a different dimension or a different uh, planet far far away or whatever it may be so I, you can have that suspension of belief better with a science fiction or fantasy book yeah is that and what I you mean like you you said you said about Gatsby like. I think the farther away you get from maybe a historical period, the harder it is to sort of capture that period in a movie. Mm -hmm. you know, so the contemporary version loses a lot of that 1920s, 1930s mm. feel from the original book. Yeah. I actually think that was one of the problems with Death in the Nile. They, um, uh, the new movie, the one with um, that just came out. It, 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 it's, it, was adapted so far away from Agatha's book that it's 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 almost a brand new story. Um, it's the same. It's not even the and they added characters. I mean, it's just I it, I really like parts of it, but oh, it was so disappointing. <laughs> But the Death on the Nile that Jen saw with Peter Ustinov is super. 
And so was David Suchet's. Oh, yeah. Um, Jen, it's it's your turn anyway. (laughs) Uh The book that our TV interview or um, biography that that introduced you to, like, another character, another writer that you'd never heard of? For me? For you, my dear. Did you, okay. Did you read uh, a biography <laughs> or autobiography or maybe see a TV interview or, um, you know, something that talked about um, a Golden Age author that you're like, oh, I never heard of him or her? Yeah, probably with me, and, and I'm, I'm not knowing the names now, but with me, um, a lot of talk about one book leading to another um, somehow I became a history buff way back, and I remember at one point, and this might have been in the mid-90s, started reading everything about uh, British history, you know, from the monarchy around, you know, Edward and Wallace, and um, and every time I would read something, it would lead me to something else, like, you know, the Mitford sisters, which, you know, the, there, was, uh, there was Diana and Walter was in uh, Peaky Blinders. You know, you compare it to the fictional and see how close it was to the story. But that would always lead me to more characters and then the people that they were involved in who were uh, some writers and musicians that they would have for parties. And then, which got me into, uh, then I started the Boer War because I was part of a, a history group of people that were still along the same lines as far as the authors and the playwrights and the, the history. Um, and we had a Every year, and the anniversary of the Battle of um, Rourke's Drift in East San Luana, uh, we would have a dinner. One guy would cook all the food that would have been popular then, and another guest was the great-great-grandson of, uh, or grand-nephew of uh, General Gonville uh, Bromhead, played by, oh gosh, who was he played by? And um, Zulu Don, Michael, Michael, oh, Michael Kane. And uh, and I, and I enjoyed that because of how you know you would just take you from one story to another and you just start to uncover the history. And yeah, sometimes these people were um, in in actual um, storybooks and other people's literature. And uh, and then of course the Agatha Christie stories. A lot of those taking place around the same time as a lot of this action was happening. To me, it just made uh, it made the history stories, the the actual history, come alive more after uh, reading and watching the movies and the TV uh, written by the Golden Age mystery writers like Christie and, and so on and, and uh, Hammett and everybody. It, it, I don't know how to put that in a way to where it would really make sense, but it just sort of fleshed it out and made it uh, and brought it more to reality than just a history book. Yeah, because you're seeing it in front of you. Yeah. Yeah, I, probably. I think that's it. But it's really interesting because, um, well, Agatha had a very long life. Her and Nio Marsh were the longest lived of the Golden Age writers. So they, I think, in fact, I think Nio beat Agatha by a decade. Um, wow. Yeah, she was in the 80s. She, she passed away in the 80s, and Agatha passed away in the 70s. So, um, 
So you have like, I think it's really interesting to follow um, authors through different time periods to see are they growing? Are they changing? Are they accepting the way the world is? They both did, by the way. Um, <laughs> they may not have liked everything, uh, but they accepted that the world was changing and this is the way it is. Um, but but they put everything in their books. One of the ones of Agatha's that was really good was A Murder is Announced, uh, explaining about after the war after World War II and how the, it's not just England, the world changed after World War II and that, you know, you, people didn't come with letters of introduction. You, uh, They just moved into, they bought a house and they moved into the neighborhood and you didn't know who anybody is. I mean, it's worse now. And I, I, I live in a, a much smaller area than I used to live in. I still don't know who any of my neighbors are. Um, I mean, that's just the way it is now. But it was really interesting to read that because it it, it describes how, you know, how people were introduced and that, uh, you know, they had a, a there was a, a grandfather or somebody boss worked in the neighborhood and they come with a letter of introduction. I mean, I can't see that happening even when I was a kid in, in, in when I was very young. So it was really cool to read that because it explained a lot to me. I don't know how you guys feel about that. I don't even know if you read that book or saw the film, but I thought it was very interesting. Did either, any of you um, murderers announce Mar Miss Marple? But, but she's so 
her books are so tight about that. I mean, she doesn't waffle on. She just, it's just really clear. Um, to give a comparison, it's a classic, Gone with the Wind. But you can, for me, you can skip about the first eight pages of the first chapter because she goes on and on and on about the South and about what it looks like and about the house. I mean, get to the people already. <laughs> but, I mean, for one of the great books and, you know, that led to one of the great movies in 1939, that big year of movies, I'm like, oh my God, it's too much scenery and flowers and clothes and, and I love all that stuff, but I mean, the woman just wouldn't stop and I'm like, when are you going to talk about the people? <laughs> I think it was about 18 or 19 when I read it. Oh. I just, you, you got to the point where just skipping the page. Ah! Oh, a woman is talking, finally. <laughs> but that that's the difference Which, between. Agatha Christie. Go ahead, Ray. With Agatha Christie, did her detectives have like a, did they kind of fit a certain time period? Because I, I don't think I read her books in chronological order. Like, was there, you know, a Tommy and Tuppence period and then later in her career, a Hercule Poirot period and then another point was a Miss Marple period or was, did she write them kind of in whatever order she felt like? Well, okay, this is the way I understand it and also the way it's been said in articles and stuff I've read. Uh, Tommy and Tuppence were the only characters that aged normally, that aged like we did. Okay. So they, you know, the first time you see them, they're, they're young, bright young things in their 20s. The second time you see them, they're like oh, mid-20s, late-20s, uh, you know. The next time you see them, they're in their 40s. The next time you see them, they're in their late 50s. And last time you see them, they're in their 70s. So, no, 60s and then 70s. There's six books. Um, so every time you see them, they're a different age. So you see them age. Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple basically were ageless. She made them old at right. the beginning, and she really had no other. I mean, if you looked, she she wrote the first Poirot before it was published. She wrote the first Poirot right after the war, so it was like 1919 or something like that, you know. And I think it was set during the war, and then it was. It, she had a hard time publishing it. It didn't get published until the 20s. But she set that then. Now, think about this. Perot never really aged until Curtin, the last book in the 70s. And she actually wrote it during World War II because she thought she was going to die in the Blitz. And then she put it in the safe. So, um... I think it was her daughter, would have money in case she got killed. Um, 
so and so she made that book kind of timeless too but he actually aged in the book he was old every other book he pretty much stayed the same way as he was in the first book miss marple was old and was old she never stopped being old <laughs> You know, I mean, she she was adorable. She was brilliant. She was ruthless. She was everything that Miss Marple was, but she didn't change, and she basically was the same. I mean, her clothes got a little bit more modern. Uh, at the beginning of the book, she was dressing like a Victorian grandmother, and by the middle of the book, she was dressing like a normal old woman of that period. Um, but uh, her age didn't seem to change. If you read the description of Miss Marple at the beginning and you read the, uh, the last Miss Marple, which she also wrote uh, in the during the war, um, she wrote two books and put it into a safe deposit, and one she gave for her daughter and the other one she set up as a gift for her husband. And so they had to actually... Uh, she told uh, in her letter, if you need to edit it to make it fit the, uh, whenever I die, go ahead. Um, but ev but those two characters, they don't age. <laughs> but I, I think yeah, also that, that, that the, um, I think she started writing Poirot in the 20s and Marple, I think, not till the 30s. But then from that point on, it was kind of either or the books. There, there wasn't like there was a Poirot period and then a Marple period. So the characters weren't aging, but they were also she wasn't sort of on one particular bent with with writing one and then writing the other. But no. She also had those other sneaky little characters earlier on. I think what was it, Colonel Race and uh, Superintendent Battle, was it? Yeah. Those the Secret of Chimneys and yeah. So those couple that kind of were there earlier, but then I think they got up to about both and ended up finishing around World War Two, I think. They, she didn't, obviously everyone liked Marple and Poirot, and the others just sort of fell by the wayside a bit. Well, they all were together in Cards on the Table. That's true, that's true. Except yeah. you didn't see it in any of the adaptions, which makes me upset, because I always wanted to see Battle. I, every time there's an adaption of a Battle book, he's never in it. No. And, and, and that which doesn't make any sense me. He's a fascinating character. What's wrong with people who adapt books? <laughs> uh, I think I think the, the battle, I think probably they shied away from putting him in Christie movies because he had moustaches as well and I think they probably thought the viewers are too dumb and they'll think it's Poirot and then they'll be confused because he's not Poirot. Seriously. But they the mean, battle had the moustache thing going on too. They said he looked like a bulldog, that he had the this big body and that's not Poirot. I mean, it, it, no, but but I think people would get stuck on the moustache. I honestly do. Uh -huh. That's 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 as much as it, that's as much as it would be. That it's a guy with a moustache and it's Agatha Christie. It has to be Hercule Poirot, but he's not talking with a French accent. What's going on? Oy. I I I I worry about people. They're that. <laughs> But I actually, I, I actually find Battle one of the more interesting detectives. I, my favorite of his is Toward Zero. I thought he was brilliant in that book. Um, but um, yeah, there's a lot. Agatha wrote a lot of interesting stories and a lot of interesting detectives. 
There's a lot of independent detectives. The first book was Race, was the man in the brown suit. But really, the detective in that book was Anne, who was the girl who got thrown in the middle oh. of that. You know, she it was sort of a thriller more than a detection thing. But you know what I mean. She had a lot of different yeah. people doing the detecting and stuff. Siddiford Mystery was another one, another girl who got thrown into a situation because her boyfriend got accused of a murder he didn't do. Um, and she was, like, trying to figure out what was going on. It, it's just, she, she, it, there, there wasn't just one thing, you know. People say, oh, well, she just wrote Perot and Marble. No, no, she wrote a lot. She wrote not just the ones we mentioned, but she wrote Harley Quinn and Mr. Satherwaite, who I think are adorable. And she wrote um, Mr. Pine, which is the first job of Miss Lemon and Ar Ariana. Both work for Mr. Pine. <laughs> oh, and I think we have to sidebar and say Harley Quinn, not to be confused with the DC character. Oh, Harley no, Quinn. nothing at Agatha all. Agatha got there first, thank you very much. Yes, she did. <laughs> uh, in the 20s, yes. And it's Harley Quinn, Q-U-I-N, and he's a Harlequin, which is why he's called that. <laughs> Just to make it real crystal clear, I'm joining Catherine on that. <laughs> but I'm, well, all I'm saying is, it, she had such an imagination. And on top of that, she wrote not only her place, but the Mary Westmacott's. I mean, the woman, I, I don't know how she did it. Like, I mean, most prolific writer of all time, really. And even though uh, Nio Marsh beat her in age, she didn't beat her in number of books. You know that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just fascinating. Um, but sh that's why Agatha is so cool because there must there should be a detective for everybody. There's <laughs> all the different people. Yeah. <laughs> Something for everyone, is that what you're saying? Something that everybody can identify with, not just adore or enjoy. Yeah, but identify with. I mean, I'll have to tell you, my favorite, and I, I'm going to be shot, is Tuppence. I love Tuppence. I wanted to be Tuppence. I loved her. In uh, The first uh, book I ever read was uh, Partners in Crime, and then I went backwards and got Secret Adversary because it mentioned it in the book. I mean... How can you not like Tuppence? <laughs> I love Tommy, too. And don't get me wrong, they're a team. But that's who I fell in love with first. <laughs> I was going to name my company um, Tuppence, and then I thought, no, no, I'll name it Two Cents. They won't even get it. But <laughs> it's actually... <laughs> because that's, a Tuppence is Two Cents in British uh -huh. money. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I was going to do, but I changed it to read the bard because I figured, no, nah, I don't want to fool around with that big, huge corporation. <laughs> that's how much I love Tuppence. But I know, sort of silly, but that's me. Um, Not really. We're coming to the end, so I thought we'd do a little switch 
and we talk about what people have going on now. So we'll start with Catherine. She's got some exciting stuff coming. What can you tell us about? Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, I have my new book coming out in January in Australia, which is called Seven Sisters. And at, I think also January at the same time in the U.S., the U.S. edition of Ms. Fisher's Modern Murders Yay! Mysteries Just Murdered is coming Finally! out. It's super exciting. Finally um, get to see it. I know, I know, with a lovely, lovely cover. I'm very excited about that. Um, and we are also just digging in to um, putting together a, a short television series of, of the Alex Clayton Mysteries. So Yay! still in early stages of funding and things here. But, um, yeah, it's um, it's very exciting. So lots going on. And, um, and that and other book all is... comes to fruition. And that other book that's coming in January, is that also an Alex Clayton book? No, this is a standalone, oh, so it's, a, standalone. it's a little bit more th thrillery. Um, there is another Alex Clayton in the works, though, so that's what I'm, I'm back on to now. Because I want, I want the next story with Alex. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's in that sh the short story collection that we spoke about last time, Sherry, so that's Dark Deeds Down Under, There's a which came out last month, so there's an Alex Clayton short story in there to tide you over. Okay. Yeah, and I have so many, and I have people I know in the, that book, which just kind of freaks me out. Uh, <laughs> I read three people I... It's a great I, collection of writers. Three people I interviewed is in that book. Um, just, wow. Um, pretty cool. It is cool. I'm really happy for you, because that, that's you. really exciting. Because the book she's in is the first uh, anthology with both Australian and New Zealand writers, which is a big deal. Yeah. So, congratulations. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And um, I can't, I I hope the TV series is going to be in the U.S. because I want to see it. You know how I feel about Alex Clayton. Yes, I do. Well, well fingers crossed, fingers crossed. As I said, we've got, we're, we're sort of, Early days yet, but we're we're back in the rice room in a couple of weeks' time. So hopefully we'll we'll kick on from there. Cool. Wow, that's so exciting, Catherine. Yeah. Thank it you. It really is. I'm really happy for you. Um. Okay. Next up, Greg. What's happening? Um. Let's see. I am currently editing a novel, um, which is not a mystery, but I am thinking about doing detective story and actually this is the first time anyone will hear me talk about this but I'm thinking about doing a detective story or a series of detective stories that might be my next book or the first cool. first book of that series might be my next book so we'll see so it'll be a series instead of standalone because your others were all standalones right I'm not, I'm not all standalones at this point yet so that's cool congratulations and yeah I'm, I'm and and do you know when that? Uh, oh, you're still you're still writing it, though, right? So you don't know when's um, So I'm still editing my non mystery book right now, and then the detective story could be the next one. Or I think I'm also toying with the idea of writing a sequel to one of my other books. So cool, that's great. Do you um do you know which one? Or do you not uh, want to so say it right now? Our Dried Voices, which is my first novel. 
That is so cool. That's so exciting. Congratulations, Greg. Thank you. Congrats, Greg. Oh. Okay. Thank you. And and Miss Jen, what do you have coming up? Well, first, as always, I have a feeling of underachievement because of you and everybody else. But <laughs> in my job, I'm pushing everybody else's books instead of doing my own. So, um, and by the way, Greg, I'm, I'm, the theory of everything, I'm 53% through that right now. So. Oh, thank you. Don't give anything away before this is over, okay? <laughs> no spoilers again. <laughs> but magnificent concept, and it, it, uh, but I'm not going to say anything else now for anybody else listening that hasn't read it. Uh, let me just say you get what you never expected, you know, like uh, the way I used to think of um, Brian Clemens back when I was much younger and watching Wide World Mysteries on weekend nights. So, um uh, well, actually, um, working up since you know I did uh, pot, the uh, steampunk panels at events, and so uh, taking one uh, women scientist, and this is going to be a steampunk themed video uh, series, and of uh, women scientists of the uh, 18th and 19th century. I went Oh, thank you, because I did one panel <laughs> on it. Uh, at March this year at Wild Wild West Con uh, Steampunk Convention. And we do have a gentleman from New Zealand that comes up to Wild Wild West Con Steampunk every year, and he's just charming. But uh, so I did it this year, and it got a really good um, – I got good feedback from people, and people were very interested in it. And so as soon as I can find a studio with um, um, enough uh, – enough good lighting to make me look like somebody else. This is going to be great. And what else? Um, oh, for my business, Lone Wolf Communications, I am going to have, just to get to know more people and let people know what we do, because it's not just signing up people for social media management or, um, or book publication, but we have also other uh, things we're doing, like a, a book promo for authors we do that as a group and we have Twitter field trips but I'm planning a an event it'll be an online event and it will be hosted uh, by some people who do drag queen bingo online oh so wow <laughs> what I said oh wow yeah, well, I got the idea from somebody with the Public Relations Society of America. They said that you know, if you feel awkward, want to keep the thing going, keep the flow going for a big long meeting, for a meeting or different people coming in, do the drag queen bingo. They know what to do. They get it rolling, and in between them calling out numbers, I'll have different people, um, like you guys, come on, just you know, maybe talk about what you're doing, what what you got coming up next. Make your own little video commercials if you want put in so I will definitely let everybody know that and if you've ever seen a live drag queen show I mean they know what they're doing <laughs> yeah 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 that sounds really fun that really does well I want to thank you all for taking time out of your day for coming on my show and wishing the great Agatha Christie a happy birthday thank you all for taking part thank you Sherry Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you very much. And thank you for chatting with Sherry. Thank <laughs> you.